If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now, we know from Peter 1, that uh, 1 Peter 1, that we are regenerated by the word. We learned that in our adult Sunday school class this morning. Let this reinforce it that the miracle of regeneration takes place by the Word of God. And as men get the Scriptures into their minds, the Spirit of God works the miracle of regeneration. Now, that Word wrought a miracle to regenerate and give you the new birth. But that Word doesn't stop working in your life. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and I hope that today that your heart is rejoicing. We're turning today to Psalm 9. I want you to notice in just verse 1 here, I will praise thee. Here is the resolve of the Christian, I will praise thee. And yes, it's easy to praise God when all is well. It's easy to praise God when everything is uh, looking up. But here the psalmist says, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. Without reading further in the psalm, we see here that our privilege of praise is laid out. It's a privilege to praise the Lord. We are his children. We are his redeemed. And we are called to this ministry of praise because we are to show forth his praises, his excellencies in the world. And the one to whom we sing, of course, must be worthy. You don't sing to one who is unworthy, but you sing unto, you give your adoration, your praises to the one who is altogether worthy. And by this, of course, we uh, express our trust in the Lord. We express our confidence in all his grace, and we are entering into the very exercise of worship. That's why in our worship services, uh, close to half of our time is given to praise. It's given to, to the hymnal, to the psaltery, to lift up our voices to the King of Kings and to worship him by praise. And this is the resolve of the Christian. We have many reasons, of course, and the psalmist outlines some of them here in Psalm 9. When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou sattest in the throne, judging right. And here, of course, the psalmist is giving praise that the God who has created the world in righteousness that he turns the very tide of wickedness against wicked men, and he uses the very laws of creation, and he turns his providence and his power to work for the godly. And so today we have every reason to praise unto the Lord. Thou hast rebuked the heathen, thou hast destroyed the wicked, thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy! Destructions are come to a perpetual end, and thou hast destroyed cities. Their memorial is perished with them. But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. All of these are reasons for the Christian 
to enter into the place of worship and praise God. Now, you can do that today in your own heart. You can do that even as you drive along. You can do that in the workplace. You can show forth the praises of the Lord by a song in your heart and a song on your lips. You can do this in your family, and you can call your family to sing with you the wonderful hymns and the psalms of Zion. You can also do this, of course, in God's house. And as we come together to worship, we give our heart praises unto the Lord. Let's just pray for a heart that is on fire and that's filled with zeal for the Lord. Father, we thank thee for the light of your word here today in the Psalm 9. We pray for the spirit of praise. Lord, we live in a veil of tears, a world that is filled with sadness, sorrow, and grief. But you've called us to a life of praise, to thank thee for your glory, your grace, and your goodness to us. And we ask today that you will just take our lives and make them channels of blessing, that we may show forth the praises of the Lord to men in the earth. We pray that you will put a song in the housewife's heart today, even at the kitchen sink. Put a song in the heart of the businessman as he is doing his trade. Put the heart of praise in children as they go off to school. Lord, grant that we as God's people will show forth thy praises in the earth. We ask this and plead this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. say that it is absolutely impossible for any man, woman, young person to be reconciled to God, to be in fellowship with God without a saving interest in the blood atonement of the Lord Jesus. And I must ask you, is that the reason, is that the terms by which you come today to the communion table of the Lord? You come to enjoy fellowship through the blood. When you take that cup, it is a symbol of the blood of Jesus. Your faith is to be in that blood. Romans 3.25 talks about faith in his blood. And if your faith is in the atoning blood of the Lord Jesus, you take that cup with a definite purpose. There's a reason behind it, because this cup represents your personal saving interest in the Lord Jesus. And you know that your life, your heart is connected to him on the terms of the blood. And without that victory at the cross where Jesus was your sacrifice, there would be no hope, absolutely no hope. And just as the branch, uh, unless it's abiding in the vine, there's no life. It withers and dies. 
Likewise, there is no possible communion with us. The hymn writer put it this way, nothing between my soul and the Savior, not of this world's delusive dream. I have renounced all sinful pleasure. Jesus is mine. There's nothing between. Nothing between my soul and the Savior, so that his blessed face may be seen. Nothing preventing the least of his favor. Keep the way clear. Let nothing between. And this is all involved in abiding in the Lord Jesus. And it's possible because of our Savior's substitutionary voluntary death on the cross. And it's possible by faith in that blood coming to put your personal trust in the Lord. Now, thinking of faith in the blood, I want you to think of the branch that is grafted into the tree. And the first thing that the arborist needs to do is he would graft in a little branch is he has to cut the tree. There has to be a definite cut, an opening in the tree for the sap to connect to the wood of the branch and it to join together for the sap, the life of the vine to flow into the branch. Now, our Lord Jesus was wounded for our life and salvation. And he came into this world and was willing to go to that cross. Indeed, he deliberately went to Calvary to be wounded, to pour out his life's blood that he might graft us into himself. And we are united to him at the cross. That's where our Lord Jesus was wounded. And that was deliberately the power and plan of God, because we know in Isaiah 53, it says he was wounded for our transgressions. And by his stripes, we are healed. Now, if the gardener uh, said, I'm not going to cut the tree, I'm just going to bind the branch, tie it around with cloth or string, and I'm just going to match it on the outside of the bark of the tree, we know life. Our Lord Jesus had to be wounded. He had to suffer. He had to pour out his blood to give you life. And when he promises, I give unto my sheep eternal life, it cost him his death on that cross, his wounds, his suffering on that very tree. And so we are bidden to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we're to keep looking to the wounds of the Lord Jesus, as Doubting Thomas did, and every unbeliever ever since. When you lack in faith, when, you, when your faith grows dull, what are we to do? We're to look unto Jesus. This communion table is an assist to do that. Sometimes it's hard for us to get into all the theology and the doctrine and, and really get our minds to grasp and understand things. The Lord has made this tangible and simple. Uh, there is now a ministry to our senses, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment, that this is an experience of the Christian. It's not only something in the head, but it must happen in the heart, in the depths of our soul, that we sense the union and communion of our Lord. But here is the means of grace the Lord has given us in this cup and bread to our senses. And you will be given this little glass cup inside with red juice, and you are to drink that in remembrance of him, consciously aware, focusing your mind on the 
historic fact, reality that Jesus poured out his life, his blood, to give you life. This is the communion in the cup, in the blood of Christ. And the bread likewise, that our Lord's body was bruised for us. And as you take that bread and chew on it and swallow it and eat that and digest it into your body, what are you doing? You are displaying, this is a, a sensual, this is a tangible experience of Christ, his communion, the connection, the life, that he gives to us. Now it's possible, uh, as I go now to verse 7 of this chapter, it is possible by the regenerating power of the word. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now we know from Peter 1 that, uh, 1 Peter 1, that we are regenerated by the word. We learned that in our adult Sunday school class this morning, that this reinforces it that the miracle of regeneration takes place by the Word of God. And as men get the Scriptures into their minds, the Spirit of God works the miracle of regeneration. Now that Word wrought a miracle to regenerate and give you the new birth. But that Word doesn't stop working in your life. It continues to be a life-giving, restorative power in your soul. It's a sanctifying word. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. And as we as Christians handle this word, and we'll look at that next week, as we take this word and use it aright in our Christian life and walk, there is a power from the Word that unites us and gives us sweet communion with the Lord Jesus. And it goes on working in us, abiding in us. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. That's the power. That's the working of the Spirit. Now, in the regeneration, of course, of the, of the soul, the new heart is given the law of God. The law of God is planted in the heart of the Christian. That's why every person that's truly born of the Spirit is Bible-focused, Bible-interested. The man who says he's a Christian and has no interest in the Bible is a phony. He's never been born of God. The one who has received the miracle of the new birth has been born through that Word and knows the power of it in his own life. I trust that you know that. I trust you can say today, the Bible has had a miraculous influence in my life. Firstly, to convert me, and then to sanctify and purify and conform my life to the Lord Jesus. And your prayer will be like Paul the Apostle, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, to be made conformable, conformable unto his death. Now, it's also possible by the experience of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Now, I reminded you that the Lord was speaking to the 11 disciples, and this was a message given prior to his arrest in Gethsemane, 
And it was after Judas departed, went out into the night, and in John, uh, Judas went out in chapter 13. John 14 is the chapter where the Lord says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And he promised them the Holy Spirit, who is the true vicar of Christ. He is in the stead of Christ. And if you go back to chapter 14, verse 16, he says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. And then down in verse 20, At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. And then verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. And so when the Lord says, Abide in me, and I in you, this two-way communion, this two-way fellowship, and I suppose we could liken it to a marriage, husband and wife. It's a two-way relationship. You know, it's never enough if it's the husband always trying to woo his girlfriend or his wife and trying to win her heart, and she's totally unresponsive. Never moves, never responds, like a corpse. Well, it's never going to be a marriage. It takes the two-way communion. And your Christian life is to be a two-way communion. You are to seek the Lord and abide in him, but also enjoy his indwelling. The grace of the indwelling, wonderful grace of the Lord. It is a felt presence of the Lord. Now, you may have heard me from this pulpit from time to time asking, when have you last felt the presence of the Lord? Someone will say, but, but our religion is not by feelings. Let me tell you, if you haven't felt saved, you're never saved. You can't be saved and not know it, and you can't be saved and not show it. And if you have been born again and the Holy Spirit lives in you, there is a, an assurance, a living power, a witness of the Spirit in your soul. Fanny Crosby wrote of this in one of her hymns when she said, I must have the Savior with me, for I dare not go alone. I must feel his presence near me and his arm around me thrown. Now, is that true Christianity? Or is that phony, charismatic, Pentecostal sensationalism? You see, what I preached last Sunday evening about the charismatics, the tendency is that we end up so tabooing ex experiential Christianity in the sensational, radical nonsense of the charismatic movement that we begin to say, well, if I get a little bit excited about being a Christian, if I begin to enjoy the Lord, I'm going on senses, experience, and not the Word. Well, the true balance is that the foundation's the Word. The enjoyment is wonderful, wonderful fellowship. Personal, living, quiet, godly, God-fearing, Holy Ghost blessedness within our soul. And we need, as Christians, the living experience of the living Christ in our souls. If you don't have that, you're backslidden. And I would caution you about coming to this communion table today if you say, look, I don't want that. I realize that we can all grow cold. We can lose the joy for a season. 
And the Lord has ordained this table to minister to us that he might pour in his grace again and give us his presence and give us his spirit. Now, when you were converted uh, in the early days of your new Christian walk, was there not an amazing and a wonderful reality of the Lord's presence in your life? Well, you couldn't do anything but think about the Lord. You wanted to pray. You wanted to get into the Bible. There was this first love. Well, the Lord wants us to have that constantly. Abide in me. Continue in my fellowship. And I and you, I and you, I know in my own testimony, my own conversion, that certainly was true. And we may be reluctant at times to speak about experiences as a Christian. But think of what happened at the conversion of the New Testament Christians in the book of Acts. Now, I know it was a wonderful revival. These were exceptional times, but it's biblical. And those who were deeply convicted of their sin and horrified of what they had done to the, to the Savior, and they hated themselves for their murderous practices, they came to Peter and said, what shall we do? And Peter gave them the gospel remedy. Here's the way to get rid of the burden. Here's the way to end the conviction. Here's the way to cease being pricked in heart. You repent and believe the gospel. And they did. And you know what? The burden rolled away. There was joy. There was living fellowship. There was the enjoyment of the things of God. And that has to be in your life. That's the Lord's call in your life. Abide in me and I in you. And the least we can say for New Testament Christians that they had a wonderful assurance of their salvation. 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul says, I know in whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. There was no questioning, no pouting, no lack of uh, certainty in the heart of the apostle about his own conversion. And that ought to be our wonderful blessing. I know I'm saved. I know without a doubt, without a cloud in the sky of my eternal life, I'm going home to glory. Peter said, whom ye have not seen, ye love. You love the one you've never seen. This is the amazing converting evidence that God gives within our hearts. And the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. There is a love that we must enjoy. You see, if we're not enjoying our salvation, there's something wrong. We need to get back to abiding in the vine and pleading that the Lord will abide with us and make this a two-way experience. Maybe you're at the state in your Christian life, you think, well, my prayers don't seem to go any higher than the ceiling. I don't really get a blessing. Well, we need to get on our knees and pray and pray and pray and pray until we get the blessing because God has the blessing for us and we're to abide in him and enjoy him. Now, I've looked at some of the prayers of the Bible and I see that this is a genuine prayer of the Christian. The benediction of the book of Corinthians talks about the uh, grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, uh, fill your heart. Do you experience that? Can you say that's your a portion? 
The Ephesian church was warned that they lost their first love. And they were to get it back. They were to seek it, to get it back. Be a wonderful thing if at this communion table that you were to get back the blessedness that you once knew in the Lord. The sweetness, the fellowship, the joy, the excitement of being a Christian. The penitential prayer of King David in Psalm 51. He said, cast me not away from thy presence. David knew the wonderful presence of the Lord in his life. And that sin that he committed took away the joy of it. Robbed him of the presence of the Lord. And then he said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. David had an experience of the presence of the Lord, the Holy Spirit in his life, and he wanted it back. He wanted it back. Of course, there's many things that can rob us of that blessedness of the Lord. The world, its distractions, our own flesh, our follies, and yes, sin will keep us from our Bible and rob us of time with God, and we end up losing the presence of the Lord. This communion table is for all who long for a personal fellowship with the living Christ. That's why it's called the communion, koinonia, fellowship. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Oh, today, let, let us abide and invite the Lord to abide in us. Open your heart, open your life to the Lord and let him come and fill your soul. Well, I'm done preaching. That's my message over. But I wonder, did I get through? I just wonder, did I get through? I wonder, did you get the challenge this morning that I got as I looked at these things in the Bible? Have I been faithful to the book and to your soul today in opening up and expounding these things? Or are you saying, oh, just our preacher's a bit excitable today for some reason. This is really not for me. Let me tell you, I prayed for you. I've prayed for you. I've prayed for this congregation. I prayed that this message would lead every one of us into a sweeter, more realistic life of Christian fellowship. I want to thank the men who met with us last night to pray. I shared some of these things with them so we would all pray about it and that we would be a church that would know this abiding fellowship in the Lord. What are we without this? We're going to be a branch severed from the vine. What are we going to be? Nothing. Nothing. Jesus said it. Without me, ye can do nothing. It is our responsibility to abide and to have him abide in us. If there's anything hindering that, confess it. Plead the blood. Seek to be restored. Do what David did. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. But come, visit my soul. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to 
www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music